0: What's up, people? I'm Erica, and this is Cocktails and Capitalism, a podcast that pairs crafted beverages with stories distilled from our capitalist hellscape. Today we are joined by organizer and activist Riley Hot. Riley is a West Virginian who has been serving as the student recruitment lead with the direct action group Climate Defiance. This youth-led organization uses mass direct action to resist fossil fuel extraction. Focusing on ending extraction on federal lands, which Biden promised to do and has failed to deliver, Climate Defiance has carried out a number of direct action events geared around this goal. Just yesterday, Riley and her fellow activists actually shut down Senator Joe Manchin's keynote address. They staged a sit-in, locking arms and chanting, Dirty deal, MVP, Manchin, you are killing me. And MVP is Mountain Valley Pipeline. How you doing, Riley? Riley? I am. I'm doing pretty okay. A little <laughs>
1: overwhelmed by all the support um, and yeah. the trash talking, of course. Uh, but yeah, it's been a whirlwind.
0: I can only imagine. Oh my god! I just watching the video of you up on the stage with Senator Joe Manchin uh, yelling the about these very important issues, and the people around you just like yelling at you <laughs> to get off the stage, just screaming in your face, like you. You're, like, in the thick of it, and I am so impressed.
1: <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. That was a first. That was definitely a first. Yesterday was. <laughs>
0: oh, my God. It was wild to watch. Well, um, in honor of you folks, I've got a Climate Defiance cocktail that I'm going to be drinking today. <laughs> I'll pour it into my glass. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um. So, Climate Defiance cocktail is made with tequila blanco. Uh, Blue corsao Apertivo Blanco, I, I use like a Lilith Blanc, uh, a lime rinse or lime juice and a mezcal rinse. Um, it's a little bit of a complex drink to make if you are, you know, in college or freshly out and doing this work as a young person. <laughs> like that's it's kind of a lot to bring together, but it is a beautiful drink. Mm. And oh my God, it tastes fucking amazing. <laughs>
1: Oh, <laughs> I'm so jealous. I'm gonna crack open my Sprite Zero. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i
0: Love it. Well, if at some point in the future you get to make one, I think you'll be very, very impressed.
1: Yeah, I totally would have went out and got the stuff for it, but uh I did find a glass that I feel like is suited to the the drink
0: ingredients. Oh, yeah. So I'm just pretending. I <laughs> Love it. <laughs> Cheers to you. Cheers. <laughs> So I guess let's just dive right in. I would love to have you just kind of explain for our listeners a little bit more about what Climate Defiance is and what you folks do.
1: Yeah, so Climate Defiance is a new youth-led org, and we are focused on using mass direct action uh, to resist fossil fuel extraction. And like you already mentioned, uh, we have been focusing on the Biden administration and the fact that they have broken their promise to end new drilling on federal lands, period, 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 in (laughs) Biden's own words. Um, And it was part of the reason I voted for him. So Mm -hmm. it is more than disappointing, especially being a native West Virginian. That's kind of what got me started in climate justice Mm. work in general is just like my own personal experience being in West Virginia and learning about the Mountain Valley Pipeline amongst so many other fossil fuel projects that have came through West Virginia. So anyways, I joined up with Climate Defiance and um, yeah, our mission is really to just expose the people who are most culpable for the climate crisis we're currently experiencing. Um, My plan was to go out and explore DC a little bit while I had the time today. (laughs) And I'm like literally sitting indoors to avoid smoke from wildfires. Oh my God, yeah anything i can do to like shake people up and to directly confront the people responsible cuz i know young people we have a lot of anger and resentment towards all of the crises we've had to experience growing up yeah. that are at the end of the day policy decisions whether that's gun violence um you know just the terrible response to covid-19 um or the climate crisis it, we're all frustrated and angry. And so like, if we can provide an outlet in a space to be directly confrontational, because you know, we have, we have hope for the future in the, the power that we hold collectively, but I don't think the people who need to hear our anger are hearing it right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm really excited that I, I feel like we're kind of uh, helping close that gap a little bit right now. Um, Cause a lot of, of youth led climate organizations right now, and I do not blame them, um, but you know they're focused on petitions, lobbying, getting in the door to to help fight for a green new deal, and that is so necessary and needed. Yeah. But it just doesn't necessarily like bring everyone in because mm-hmm. most people, I would say, at least from Appalachia, um, don't like. Don't like inside game. They they know these people are scummy. <laughs> yeah. They know at the root, like and at the core, a system that relies on dark money and you know corporate money to to make decisions about everybody's future is like totally not cool. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. So, yeah. Anyway, I can let that out. I, I'm trying to do oh, wow. and excited to do it with climate defiance for sure.
0: Hell yeah! Amazing and. I think you're absolutely right to focus on disruption and not working within the normal channels. I mean, we are seeing business as usual and business as usual is producing, like you say, like insane dark orange skies, like this is already the dystopia that we've been watching TV and watching about in film and movies. Um, But yeah, I wanted to jump into talking a little bit about how Climate defiance started, and how you got involved, kind of like what motivated you to do this work?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I always get that question. And I'm always like finding a new origin story, (laughs) which is funny, I guess, like, how far back do you want?
0: (laughs) You know, I I mean, whatever you think would be most important for people to hear about your experience, you know, whatever would be. (sighs) (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Everything Tell
1: us tell it all. <laughs> I'm like, where do I start? Um yeah, so I I've been thinking about this more recently because of the mansion action, but truly I feel like my kind of like the catalyst into becoming an organizer later on was talking to mansion. Wow. I'm not even kidding wow. you. Um I'd never spoken to a politician before. Um I grew up in a conservative Christian household and uh, family, and they didn't talk politics. Mm. Like they they made it a very clear draw the line. Like at family dinners, we have huge family gatherings. It was just never discussed. Yeah, at least for me to like recognize. There's a lot of little like hints, you know, Mm -hmm. this is a political statement, but it's not really, we're not really talking politics. (laughs) Um, So yeah, I was just kind of a little clueless all the way up until high school when I just like Twitter exists. I'm on the internet from a young age, obviously, Mm -hmm. and it's hard to ignore that politics are part of our lives and ignoring them is only hurting people. Um, And so basically... I was just super impressed by uh, my former AP government teacher, Mr. Woody. And at the time, he was my first psychology teacher, which is actually what I got my bachelor's in. Um, hmm. But he invited me to join his AP government class and had a Skype call with Senator Manchin, <laughs> and they were going to let students ask him
0: questions. <laughs> oh, shit. So... Yeah,
1: are you I ready for my first ever question? <laughs> oh goddamn. It actually it's not it's not climate related. Oh wow. Uh that comes in later, yeah. but I just asked Senator Manchin because uh one of my friends who was trans had used a bathroom and got suspended. Oh my god. And yeah, they the solution that the school gave them was to always have to go ask a teacher for the teacher's bathroom key. Oh, my God. And this was around the same time of like the North Carolina trans bathroom bans mm-hmm. that were like, it was super, yeah, I just really distinctly remember that mm-hmm. being so popular and then seeing it happen to somebody who I knew faced so much harassment and bullying yeah. every single day just being who they were and like it just infuriated me and mansion's response to me so i was like what are you doing to protect trans kids in west virginia and he said oh it sounds like the teacher's bathroom key was a good compromise like he basically said it was a non-issue and i straight up said i agree to disagree (laughs) and i was very like i i have no poker face you know people will comment and be like you need to like be more this or cry less. I'm like, I can't, like I'm letting it out right now. Good. So that was the first time I ever did it. And then I was like, whoa, like these people don't make policy decisions based on like empathy or science <laughs> or like I don't know. It was just such a wake up call. Uh-huh. Um so then my first ever like action I was blessed to be able to go to DC. It was actually my first like long trip that I'd ever taken out like after I graduated high school. And it was my freshman year and I went to the March for Our Lives in DC. And it was just seeing hundreds of thousands of people my age. And I knew all the things that I had to go through just to get to DC with a few friends. Mm -hmm. I was like, just blown away that th- there's so many young people, like, we are just like, just trying to get by day by day, but we genuinely care about other people. And we're not going to stand around while politicians are just like crumbling away at our futures. Yeah. Um, so that was another big wake up call. And then my first ever, like, near climate defiance action was there was a blockade at the coal plant in Granttown, west virginia last april wow. um this is a coal plant where senator mansion makes half a million dollars a year from the trucking company that ships coal waste there um and so i met the co-founder of climate defiance michael there and i acted as a spokesperson at that event um and Ever since <laughs> it's been a whirlwind, but we launched around March um and just been doing direct action after direct
0: action since oh my god, amazing story, and very like i don't know, it just makes me feel like this work is so so possible, and so many other people in your situation need to be seeing what you're doing so that they can kind of uh, learn that it's possible to stand up it's possible to do things outside of the system and make change. Since we've touched on the action yesterday with Manchin, we talked talked a little bit about how talking with him radicalized you. Let's talk about like some of the Manchin fossil fuel connections, uh the Manchin money connections here <laughs> that cuz I know I've heard you talk about these things in the past if if you want to say anything about that.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um <laughs> Like where do I even start? Because it's not just <laughs> mansion. Like that's one thing. Like I mm-hmm. wish like so many people didn't give mansion all the credit for like the yeah. ways that fossil fuel companies have obliterated Appalachia. Um, mm-hmm. And but <laughs> that being said, this man is like the perfect example of. Of the worst of the worst, in my opinion, um, mm. he makes a he made a million dollars in in lobbying numbers from the fossil fuel industry l- just last year. In one year, a million dollars of lobbying cash went to Senator Manchin. Um, out of everybody in the Senate and the House, he makes the most from fossil fuel money, and he also has a family. <laughs> And they own a trucking company that ships coal waste, where he makes half a million wow. dollars a year from it. He's so deeply entrenched in that world. Um, and it is yeah. really common in West Virginia. I mean, Jim Justice, our governor, he's a coal baron that hasn't been paying. Oh my gosh, he, he's like not been, he doesn't pay for shit, basically. <laughs> he does not pay <laughs> his, his coal workers and avoids anything wow. he can. And then they tout fiscal responsibility. And these people, ah, like (laughs) (laughs) the fossil fuel industry has literally cut corners, especially for workers since its conception. And in West Virginia, Mm -hmm. I just constantly think back to the fact that when the coal companies came into town Everything was the coal company. The coal company paid you in scrip, which was coal company money you could only pay Jeez. for anything you needed at the coal company store, and your guess who your landlord is? It's the coal company owner. Yeah. Damn it. Yeah, so people had just been like stuck in this lifestyle for so long that it became a source of pride for Appalachia that like they stuck through the worst of the worst. They survived. I mean, just it's like survivor's guilt in a sense for me and why I act hmm. because I feel like the message the coal companies have so much money that they have continued to sell a lie that like that didn't even really happen <laughs> like they wow I don't know if you've heard about the West Virginia mine wars are you familiar
0: a little bit very very little bit but I, I, th- I I'm planning to try to dive into and research that story a lot more very soon.
1: Yeah. So at the core, the the need to know, right, (laughs) is that um, people were fed up with how they were being treated by the coal companies. They wanted to not be working six days a week, over 12 hours at a time, choking in coal dust, and then not even having the resources to feed their families. (laughs) Um, And they were done. And so they they got together and they were like, "No more!" And they faced violence from the police. Um, sounds familiar. And yeah. so, basically, it it ended in a war between union miners and the sheriff. Along with them they sent in the national guard, and the national guard dropped oh, yeah. bombs on miners oh, who are yeah. literally standing mm-hmm. up for their labor rights. Um, and the the guns, like if you just compare the weapons that they had, it's it's just devastating to think about. So, anyways, all that being said, his family has a legacy of being on the side of the people who gunned down miners, and like, oh my god, it's just yeah. such a, it's such a clear metaphor to me that these people are just as evil and they are making decisions that directly like kill off people in the affected areas for money and then they like go out and be like we just won for america's freedom for our energy security we shall have so much more money Uh, but to who uh, where is this money going it's going to the joe mansions every single time and i know most west virginians are fed up with it um Across party lines, we do not like Joe Manchin. Wow. I'll tell you that. Much. Really? Yes. That's that's great to hear. <laughs> like, yeah. and I don't think I'm just making that up. Like I tried to tell him, mm-hmm. I did tell him to his face yesterday. I've spoke to thousands of West Virginians, yeah. and hundreds of them have called your office, and most of them were not positive. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, it,
0: yeah.
1: yeah I, I don't know. I, I you asked me about the money. But it's like so much more than that, too. Um,
0: Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, I'm glad that you're talking about kind of the legacy that he is upholding. Um, being on the side of the companies that crush labor movements, and yeah, that that's that's part of the story that we don't hear a lot in the news these days. You know, um, I just did a recorded an episode where we talked about the No Labels party that is thinking about running Joe Manchin as president or as a presidential candidate, um, and basically it's a it's a party tool for billionaires so that they can throw elections by basically like electing people that are going to spoil the results for Democrats so that Republicans can keep their uh, tax breaks and everything like that. So it's like this completely diabolical scheme by billionaires to put Manchin up there in front (laughs) of America to fuck with our elections and to make sure that the rich continue to be rich. So. Yeah, Uh,
1: I wish I could say that I was shocked. (laughs) But yeah, I'm really not. It's like, he's proud of it, too. That's, Oh, that grinds my gears. Like When I told him to his face, I hunger strike for 23 days for the Freedom to Vote Act, a bill that you co-sponsored. I spoke to thousands of West Virginians. You say you talk to West Virginians. Why won't you talk to us? And he he heard that whole... I'm pretty sure he heard all of that.
0: And he looked at me... I saw him hear it in the video.
1: Yeah. He looked at me and it was like this slight grin, poker face but just staring right through me, turns around and just walks away. Like, I think they maybe were on stage for a little bit longer before he finally, like, moved past the protesters that were behind him, too. But that was it. And I I don't know what I thought would happen, but I was waiting for this moment for, like, since, I mean, pretty much since I asked him the first question, but really for the last two years, because I had been organizing for something that, like, he actually directly needed to hear from us. Like we ran the largest canvassing operation in West Virginia history with unpacked knocking over 70,000 doors statewide for a bill. He co-sponsored, he should be like jumping at the bit to talk to us really. Oh my Um, God. Yeah. And he didn't. (laughs) And even during a hunger strike, a 23 day hunger strike, he wouldn't talk to us. So I, I wish I could say I was shocked by the response yesterday, but if he runs for president, he's not going to get a shining endorsement from west virginians he might get a shining <laughs> endorsement from the fossil fuel companies but i oh, hope yeah. at this point people across party lines at least recognize that the climate crisis is a real thing and the fossil fuel companies are at least partially responsible um, and spreading that message yeah. to even in appalachia like i feel like it's so crucial that even if i lose reputation with family friends entire communities in my state. Like I I'm fighting for the coal miners. Like I really am. Yeah. So
0: Amazing. I don't know what the
1: first question was, but <laughs> that's <was>
0: my rant. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love where we went with it, man. Um, can you explain a little bit more about the action yesterday and how you managed to shut down that keynote address?
1: Oh, they made it easy they actually <laughs> okay guys if anyone out there is like there's a board meeting coming up and this guy is fully invested in fossil fuels he's terrible whatever it is like i'm telling you it's not as hard as you think it is like maybe in some states so i it. will say like most of our actions are in in dc and dc police do not want to be arresting protesters so in dc it's actually like guys you can do this um but nice i i mean i would recommend you speak to a lawyer you know talk to other organizers who've done similar actions and how did find out how most people like responded in those areas but from Mm -hmm. my experience uh these events their security ain't that hot like they they really (laughs) they really don't expect us somehow like yesterday in particular okay politico energy summit we went to Politico Energy Summit, uh, Secretary of Energy Jennifer Granholm was speaking and we disrupted that. And that was crazy. Like they had somebody posted up at every poll going down, um, like a huge banquet room. There was at least 50 private security, I would say around 50 private security guards um, who like, Beat us up. Like, they were not messing around. Like, they pinned wow. somebody down to the ground for three minutes um, by oh. their forearm. Um, I was drug out so forcefully that I vomited right afterwards. It was my kind of anxiety, Whoa. too. But, like, yeah, yeah. But on top of that, like, I was being wrangled. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Anyways, that's happened before. But yesterday in particular, for some reason, maybe it's because like Semaphore is a new. A new press outlet. I don't know. But they're hosting an entire panel on what's the deal on permitting reform where Senator Manchin will be there live in person and we walk in, they get our names. I I don't really, really want to necessarily share tactics, uh, like Okay. Yeah. That are like would, you know, harm anybody's safety. But all that being said, like oh, yeah. they really didn't have that many security like and at most of these events it's private security they're not really allowed to touch you they will they do they'll cross boundaries for sure but at these actions most of the time they have to call the police they have to arrest people exercising their first amendment rights which they're first very hesitant to do so they'll yell at you get off my stage (laughs) as like many times until like they hope you'll just magically do what they they want you to And then they may Uh call the police and then the police will give you more likely than not three warnings. At least that's what they're supposed to do. And on the third warning, you would be arrested, um, for just obstruction, uh, has been like Mm -hmm. my previous charge, um, in an event where like mm. I, I was arrested, but I have not been arrested in any of the climate defiance actions. Um, even though we are, wow. we keep it spicy, you know, we, we're getting right <laughs> up next to them. Uh, we've never once been arrested. Um, we have a chant. Somebody's a chant leader. They, they kind of pick the moment where they're like, oh, like he's been talking for 30 seconds and he doesn't deserve the floor anymore. And they start the chant and then everybody joins the chant and we all stand up. And we go to the front and we hold our banners and we lock arms we make it hard for them to move us and we typically like have like one person who's really feeling confident in like speaking to why we're there if the opportunity arises um mm. and so yesterday we chanted, we got up we said dirty deal mvp mansion you are killing me move to the front some people got on the back of the stage we had about 20 folks um and we had a sign that said mansion is a climate criminal and and fossil fuels, and then we continued to chant that. I tried to speak directly to Mansion, hoping maybe he would say at least something. Um, and then he walked away, went into a uh, like a back room, um, and basically the entire route, they all left. Everybody left. They either left, yeah. left, or they like <laughs> followed that back way and we didn't recognize at the time like he was going into a back room so they could like finish the interview but i we shut the thing down like he didn't get to give his closing remarks on the stage and stuff and like i'm sure the video is not nearly as good for Cinder mansion uh, if they had to stand (laughs) in some back room as we're continuing to (laughs) chant and speak to reporters and i mean we definitely stole the spotlight from him and i think he deserves to have the spotlight taken from him. He's just touting what yeah. the fossil fuel industry wants him to say. Um, so, mm-hmm. yeah, he doesn't deserve a platform. It was pretty simple. So if you're considering, if you're out there considering if it's possible, it really is.
0: That's great. And I mean, I really so much of what I want to do with the show is make these kinds of actions uh, this kind of um of political engagement, very accessible for people, you know, not make it, you kind of demystify it, pull away some of the things that make people feel like they cannot participate. So mm-hmm. um, I really appreciate you just laying out the basic, simple facts of what you did, and and making it clear for people how to go about doing that. Because, yeah, it's not, it's really not all that complicated. It just, it just isn't what people are used to engaging in. and And, and it's, kind of working outside of normal channels. So that's a little bit scary. But um, but yes, thank you so much for just like making that nice and clear and simple for people. I love it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I would love to just um, hear a little bit about the other actions climate defiance has staged and give people the bigger picture for what you folks have done.
1: Absolutely. Um, thank you for asking. So Our first ever action was in March of this year, and we went to CSIS, but they take tons Mm -hmm. of money from the fossil fuel industry. Um, And this was around the time of the Willow decision, and Mm. Conoco actually is one of their biggest donors. Um, And on top of that, they were hosting White House climate advisor Ali Zaidi, who, believe it or not, used to be a lawyer for Massey Energy, a coal company. Um, wow. Yeah. So we pulled up, we sat on the stage with our in fossil fuels sign. Um, and gosh, what did we chant back then? <laughs> it was so long ago. We have a new chant, <laughs> a new chant every time. But essentially, we shut down his keynote address. He tried to come speak to us a little bit. He just continued to tout the jobs the IRA would create. He gave us a whole lot of nothing. I remember him telling me, I said, you know, why are you continuing to try to get fossil th- fuels ran through um, these same mountains that have been blown up by mountaintop removal? And he said, Biden ended wow. fa- mountaintop removal, which I'm, I'm like, pretty sure he didn't. If somebody can correct me on that, like, I would love to know. But I think Ali hmm. Zadie was just trying to like, shut me up. Um, oh,
0: Wow. I wow. think,
1: I don't know, because I keep looking it up. I'm like, did Biden in mountaintop removal? Somebody tell me.
0: I've never heard that.
1: Right? I feel <laughs> so, like if he did, we yeah. would know. But uh, anyways, yeah. neither here nor there. there Basically, be- we shut down his keynote address. And that was our very first
0: one. I just think that's that's a really amazing way to start your <laughs> organization or start <laughs> the actions that you guys are involved in. Um, do you want to just kind of like lay out some of the other events that you've yeah. shut down?
1: Absolutely. Um, so there's there's a lot. March 20th was our first direct action um, with Ali Zaidi at the CSIS event, which was called U.S. Climate Leadership and Energy Security. We occupied the stage for 20 minutes and we prevented Ali Zaidi's speech. And then March 22nd was our official launch and we hosted our first fundraiser and had keynote speakers Bill McKibben and Peter Kalmus, the... Uh, NASA scientist. Wow, it was really awesome uh, and a wow. complete honor. And then God. on April 12th, we disrupted Ali Zaidi a second time at a Department of Energy conference. And then on April 25th, we shut down a keynote address by White House climate advisor John Podesta, who said that we could only get to net zero by 2050. And then wow. on April 26th, we disrupted a third keynote address by Olly Azadi at uh, the FP Energy Summit. And then on April 29th was our, our big White House Correspondence Center blockade. We had over 100 folks join us, and we had uh, Justin Pearson and Justin Jones join us from the Tennessee Three, um, just kind of like out of the blue. Um, we had... Gosh, it was awesome. Uh, Peter Kalmas joined us. And it was just such a great day to build solidarity. Um, we certainly made a whole lot of attendees uncomfortable. Um, but the fact <laughs> is, we needed to bring attention to the fact that Biden is currently greenlighting new fossil fuel projects at a faster yeah. rate than the Trump administration in the midst of a climate yes. crisis. Um, so we are not going on with business as usual and the correspondence center I think was a brilliant choice because uh the corporate media outlets that are there celebrating the freedom of the press
0: (laughs) um, it's just a bit ironic
1: and I think they need shaken up a little bit too um Mm -hmm. so yeah then we went to we also disrupted the White House Correspondents Garden Brunch in the morning um with like a few folks holding a banner trying to get in And the same thing, except it was most of us from the blockade walked to the correspondence dinner after party at a multi-million dollar mansion. And it was like on the spot, guerrilla theater. It was super fun. Um, We had a great time. (laughs) And then we sang country roads and we left.
0: (laughs) Nice. And then
1: (laughs) April 30th, which is the next morning. Okay, so we probably finished our actual action around... Eleven thirty 30 at night um finally got back to where i was staying and then i had to be up at like 7 a.m so that i could go to wow. the cnn hangover brunch
0: where oh my god <laughs> it's like they have five
1: <laughs> events just for the correspondence center it's
0: ridiculous um, that's insane <laughs> i didn't know
1: yeah so they have a cnn hangover brunch i'm thinking it's not going to be massive I was wrong, but we pulled up to this hotel and um, secret tactic alert, you can get a hotel room (laughs) if there's a big event happening in a hotel, like, just have somebody get a hotel room.
0: (laughs) Oh my god,
1: yes. Oh yeah. (laughs) I love it. Um, We had somebody at the hotel and we got together beforehand and then we went down to the first floor and we had like a distractor person talking to the security guard being like, how do I get my room key? Just being, like, really annoying. In that voice, I hope. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then we basically just booked it into the CNN Hangover Brunch, and it was... It was huge. I walked into like a two story room and we sat in front of the bar where everybody had to come up to get their free mimosas and Bloody Marys. And they were so uncomfortable and we had all lost our voices from the correspondence center. So (laughs) we were yelling, um, gosh, we were yelling, do your job, do your job, expose big oil. And then uh, we had security basically blockade our blockade. So it was like a double blockade and then nobody could get their drinks. It was awesome.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Blockading the cocktail area. Yeah, and it was like five of us. It It was literally
1: just five of us sitting there holding a banner um and it it, like (laughs) shut down people from getting their drinks for like a solid 15 minutes it was awesome oh my god that's (laughs) awesome
0: (laughs) Um, I mean, I'm very pro cocktail, but I am am even more than that pro that strategy. Yes. <laughs> Great. Thank you. Thank you. I thought so
1: too. So then we basically <laughs> were threatened with arrest. So we walked out of the building, we stood in front, and we were kind of asking people as they were going in, um, like, have you divested from fossil fuels? Like, are you cool with the fact that Biden's greenlighting new projects at a faster rate than Trump? Are you reporting on it? Um yeah. and then we were wow. like okay we're done for the day it's rainy So we went to leave and Wolf Blitzer shows up. (laughs) What? Wolf Blitzer gets out of his car in front of the hotel. And we're like, oh, this is the moment. So I'm like, well, I walk up to him, I'm recording. And I was like, Wolf Blitzer, why did we not get a single sentence in the entire article about the White House Correspondence Center? We had over 100 people blockading it. And you need to be reporting on the climate crisis with the urgency it deserves. And he said something Mm. like, but we do report on the climate crisis. We did a one hour documentary last week. <laughs> oh
0: my up. God.
1: Oh and we were my like, God. okay, but who did you hold accountable to that? Uh, and he did not answer and he walked away. So, it, yeah, that was the end of that Jesus. day. That was like the wow. whole Correspondence Center uh, craziness. Um, so then we took a <laughs> little tiny break and we came back. On May 10th, we marched on Biden's New York fundraiser. It was his first uh, fundraiser since announcing his re-election campaign. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. It was a $25,000 per plate fundraiser hosted at billionaires' uh like, uh, I don't want to say condominium. I mean, it's, I'm sure it's bigger than a condominium, but it's like overlooking Central yeah. Park. So we were joined by wow. Jane Fonda and Stephen Donzinger. and
0: yeah,. yeah
1: <laughs> Marshall Biden's first presidential fundraiser um, in New York. And then that same day in DC, folks blockaded the SUV of climate advisor John Podesta. Um, same guy who told us to wait until 2050. And so, yeah, we had <laughs> some people hold our Biden and fossil fuel sign. And and then the day wow. after that, on May 11th, we disrupted Klobuchar's book tour for The Joy of Politics um, mm. in D.C. <laughs> and demanded that she come out against Line 3 and live her values and be a climate leader, which is crazy because she actually, for the first for the first time, my knowledge, um, voted to strip the Mountain Valley pipeline from the debt ceiling bill. I will say, I think when we turn the heat up, you know, these people know people are watching their vote, and seeing mm-hmm. what they do and acting accordingly. Um, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I, I'm not giving us any credit. I'm just saying it's a funny coincidence.
0: <laughs> I love it. We, we Ooh, and her. That, that was right after the event, though, that she she voted against it. Right after you 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 shut down her book.
1: So this was May 11th. This was last month, and okay. then more recently, a couple weeks after that, this or maybe two, yeah, two weeks after our May 11th Klobuchar disruption, there was another Klobuchar disruption um, that we helped wow. organize in Los Angeles. <laughs> um, and yeah, that there was about five or so folks holding the "Which side are you on?" banner. Same one that we had in D.C. Um, So I bet she was not expecting that.
0: (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs)
1: And, yeah, then May 18th, we disrupted Secretary Granholm at the Politico Energy Summit that I talked about earlier. Um, Mm -hmm. And previously to that, in the morning, disrupted a FERC meeting. Um, And since the Secretary Granholm at Politico... We did another Klobuchar. Oh, um, we shut down Schumer's block in New York um, <laughs> I saw that. for so like cool. around the debt ceiling. Um, and then more recently yesterday, Senator Manchin, which I have been I have been training for. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah.
0: It's kind of a coming full circle in some ways. Yeah. Um, from your early, early moments of becoming radicalized, speaking with him. Mm -hmm. Uh, Amazing. Do you want to say anything about tomorrow's action?
1: Um, Yeah, uh, it's going to be a really, really large group of people. And to my knowledge, um, we're not like the main organizers of this. Uh, It is hosted Mm. by frontline Appalachian organizations like the Power Coalition um awesome and yeah we're just joining in solidarity uh some of us will be risking arrest and it is uh you know calling on biden to cut it out <laughs> and keep yeah. the promise and in new fossil fuel projects um so yeah that's that's the plan and then more okay. to come i'm sure
0: oh my god i'm sure wow with just with multiple things happening this week and I'm recording with you in the middle of that. It's, it's wild how much you folks are doing. Like a lot of groups will stage sporadic actions, but I haven't seen anything like this where it's just so, so much determination, so much. um, Yeah. Just like persistence with it. So great fucking job. Thank you.
1: <laughs> Thanks. I appreciate it.
0: Oh my God. I'm, I appreciate you guys, but I want to, um, I wanted to hear your thoughts a little bit about working within the system, working within the existing political power structures versus making change from outside of the system and disrupting things. We talked a little bit about that at the beginning, um, but I I wanted to talk about it, especially because I, I read this quote from you that said, inside game alone will not be enough to compel those in power to act. We need highly visible, attention-grabbing, disruptive, media-earning tactics to confront the crisis we are in. Um, I thought that was just brilliant and so powerful, and I was just wondering if you had any any more that you wanted to say about that.
1: Yeah, I guess I can speak to my personal experience, because I think I've kind of stepped in both shoes a little bit, and Mm. when I first started organizing around the Freedom to Vote Act, I... We tried all the inside game things you're supposed to do, like, you know, uh, setting up constituency meetings, putting together petition signatures with clear asks, um, you know, speak, hosting little rallies and speaking to the, the, you know, people who come to those rallies, like we did all the things that are a standard, uh, standard tactics, up until we realized, Mm -hmm. like, they're just going to let this float by. They will just, like, throw the Freedom to Vote Act out and not even put it on the Senate floor if we don't see direct action. So after a, like, tireless year of all this hard work and not seeing many fruits of our labor, um, we went on a hunger strike for 23 days cumulatively. We got arrested twice, and we were told by Mark Kelly, who... Apparently, was told by Chuck Schumer himself that the Freedom to Vote Act would not have been put on the calendar for the first week back after the winter recess if it weren't for our direct action. And that was like, whoa. So, okay, so you're telling me, like, I have to yell at you every time because I will. (laughs) But like, damn. Cheers to that.
0: Oh, my God. I love that.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Cheers to that. (laughs) Fuck yeah, dude. Yeah, so essentially that kind (laughs) of radicalized me too because before, like, I was really just attending marches, speaking at rallies, you know, acting as a spokesperson, helping pass resolutions through WVU and Marshall. Like, we really built so much positive pressure for Manchin to be able to have the political the political will, maybe we're kind of trying to build the political will for him to pass this bill that he already put his name on and that we already kind of expected. I don't know why we did. But (laughs) looking back, I mean, he's just such a little weasel. But (laughs) anyway, I love it. So yeah, so I just uh, personally, you know, like, I'm sure there are orgs out there that are at least funded enough to be able to do like really good research and build up something like the green new deal, you know, like Mm. inside game built up the green new deal. We can't ignore that. And like, discredit that. But I've also seen how, how much these people who are doing such crucial work are getting ignored. And I'm like, just go do something super disruptive. And then when you get all this press about it, be like, here is our plan. Like, that gives you the window to actually build the political power that you need to do something. And like, it's just really frustrating to see climate, especially climate organizations, slipping so far into inside game that now their funding Mm. is also reflecting that work as in like kind of a dc insider um and then people start to feel like the movement is becoming inauthentic it's capitalism fighting capitalism it's Mm. you know Mm -hmm. and there may be some parts that are so crucial and effective and helpful but if that means you're sacrificing like the voices of the people who've actually built you and given you that position of power with like on the ground organizing, mm-hmm. then you lose your base and you lose momentum and things come crashing down. And I do not want to see that for other climate organizations. I don't want to see that for us. Yeah. And we're constantly yeah. thinking about like how much, you know, what is what is the right ratio of inside to outside? but when we're seeing the climate crisis knocking on our door i mean we answer it with like whoa what the what the f not like mm, please don't do this you know what i mean yeah
0: yeah so, totally so
1: yeah that's that is my answer
0: <laughs> i mean it's 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 hard to play nice when you know that the stakes are a livable planet for not just humans but like every species mm-hmm. on the planet like The stakes are so goddamn high that like, how are we not supposed to be disrupting Uh things? How are we, how are we supposed to just be sitting back and being silent and continuing business as normal? That's just, yeah. So Uh I'm really glad that you folks have realized that like focusing on disruption, on, on drawing the attention to what you're doing at the same time as targeting um, events that are very, very strategically chosen, you know, like um, these keynote addresses, specific politicians that are are doing legislation around the topics that we you are trying to push forward. I mean, that that kind of very targeted direct action is incredible. And and like that is, I think, what gets the goods, you know, mm-hmm. um, uh, you can you can do direct action or um, you know, disrupt things in ways that people that just piss people off without getting things done. You know, mm-hmm. um, but I don't see that. I see the work that you guys are doing is incredibly targeted, and that to me is a huge, um, huge sign that you are in, going in the right direction, and that the movement is going to grow. People are going to find it and and want to come in and do what you're doing. So. incredible thank you
1: yeah i'd like to think (laughs) so too i mean like things like shutting down schumer's block the correspondence center even though those seem to be really strategic uh tactics and even some of our our small disruptions small small, but i mean small in number (laughs) of people um yeah we've i've seen so much pushback like people want us to de-radicalize like it, it does not matter if there's like I don't know how to describe it well enough, but there's just this general sense of like, at least people on the left or left of center or left of thinking climate change is a hoax (laughs) aren't used to this. They aren't ready to face something this dire and they know what's comfortable. They know maybe like what's worked in the past and, Everyone seems to be just like fighting about tactics, and it's really frustrating because the yeah. big, o- like big oil, they don't fight about tactics. They know their yeah. game; they yeah. have it well funded. Um, and mm-hmm. I recently read *The Road to Blair Mountain*, uh, as I mentioned oh, earlier, nice. and I read uh, this passage that basically said, "Like, I'm so sick." of the hillbilly firing squad where we're all supposed to be shooting at King Cole, but we're standing around in a circle shooting each other. And I was like, whoa. Oh my God. (laughs) Totally. So yeah. I mean, like, I think also, like I mentioned earlier, we just really fill a gap to like, if you're all about inside game, you were a political science major and you know how to do it. Like go do that. But I'm just a psych student from West Virginia grew up broke like I don't see other pathways for me right now um, to really like Mm -hmm. get to the halls of power and feel heard we're not heard we're literally silenced so yeah yeah we gotta we gotta be stronger than that and like really I just want to see like a huge coalition built (laughs) um, of people becoming increasingly increasingly more disruptive because we really need it right now I think
0: we really really fucking do Amazing. What you said about like the firing squad, um, it is so in line with what I keep saying on the show. I I feel like I'm just like a broken record because I keep talking about this, but like leftists, leftist infighting is so out of control. And the like name calling of like, you're not this right kind of leftist, your tactics aren't right, blah, blah, blah. Um, you're a (laughs) Marxist Leninist, I hate you. Um, we're like, instead of eating the rich, we're just eating each other. And we need to be focusing on the real <laughs> objectives that we have the real issues in front of us. Um, so I'm really happy to hear you uh, kind of kind of having a similar um, attitude towards that kind of conflict that happens within these movement spaces. Yeah,
1: um, absolutely. And I th- yeah. I want to just note, like, I feel like it comes from a- on the left, at least it feels like it really does come from a place of love. And so that's what really frustrates me because these people are operating off hate and destruction. And we're literally just trying to fight that with love, but like tearing people down unintentionally Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways. And so something I've been learning more about um, uh, is from Dr. Loretta Ross, uh, who teaches Hmm. about calling in versus calling out. Um, I love it. That is something we're trying to implement within our org. Um, You know, basically, like, if something is, like, triggering to someone else or just, like, clearly, like, okay, not super aligned with our mission and values, like, you know, we're fighting for economic and racial justice too here, like, realizing, okay, this person's coming from a place of love. It's not a place where we need to go tweet at them and be like, this is awful if we know that they generally are, like, on our side and trying to do what's right
0: yeah the easiest way you
1: can push an activist out the door is to tell them okay well this is wrong and do it in a public space i think yes yeah we just need to like if there's somebody to call in like we're calling out joe manchin right that makes total sense Mm -hmm. but we can't (laughs) call out joe manchin and then call out aoc and call out your your friend who's like trying to join a protest with you like Yeah, we got to call out the ones who clearly need called out and the ones who generally like are on our side and however you interpret that need called in and just like asked like, hey, like, why did you say this and then learn more about why they said it and work from there and, and don't make any prejudgments about like what somebody meant. Because um, it is really easy to just go back and forth and back and forth in these kinds of spaces when you're making really important yeah. decisions about something that collectively we're all doing, we all really deeply care about. Um,
0: mm-hmm. So yeah, that that was really, really beautifully put, really, really well put, and gives me a lot of hope that other people are thinking along these lines. Um, it's that's definitely something I've come to through engaging in direct action and organizing and um, and doing this podcast and just realizing like we need to be focusing on the common cause and learning how to treat each other with more gentleness when we fuck up um, so that we can keep working together and building these movements together. Mm-hmm. So important right now. Um,
1: oh, I just want to like backtrack and say like, okay, actually, though, like if AOC did something bad, it totally makes sense to call her <laughs> out for that. I was just yeah, trying yeah, yeah. to think of like, <laughs> you know, fair. it doesn't make a very clear message if you're like, I don't like this person and they like generally are really bad. <laughs> and then you'll quickly turn around and do the same to folks who are generally not as bad. Um, yeah. Just wanted yeah. to note, she is a public official and you should hold her accountable if she does some function.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's a good, good note to include there. Appreciate it. We kind of already talked about some tactics and strategies. But I'm just wondering, um, is there any kind of, like, recipe for, like, how you folks choose your targets for these events?
1: Um, The recipe is to go to (laughs) opensecrets.org and look and see if this person is making buco dollars from the fossil fuel industry. Um, (laughs) No, but really, like, like, obviously in these moments where the debt ceiling package passed through the Mountain Valley pipeline permitting reform, like, I think we kind of just lucked into the fact that Manchin's trying to go around on his little tour to, like, celebrate that. Um, and so a lot of it is just kind of, like, timing where, oh, no, they're trying to cover their tracks by sending their climate advisors to go do all of this, like, PR pushing that we're uh, doing the right thing. So, like, kind of these opportunities have fell into our laps in the most opportune moments because they do it to themselves, thinking they're going to get mm. ahead of it but they don't know mm. we already know they're trying to get ahead of it. Mm. <laughs> um, yeah. So that's kind of my perfect. answer. I mean, yeah, they've just kind of like been like perfect timing. Oh, my gosh, we know John Pinesse is going to this thing in like two days. Like, let's go. Uh, it. We are quick.
0: <laughs> that's amazing. I mean, that and that's a brilliant, nice, simple recipe <laughs> for repeatable action, too. Yeah. So, hell yeah. Oh, that's dope since we're getting kind of towards the end of our discussion, just like looking at the bigger picture of climate change and the, the kind of impending uh, ca- ca- catastrophe that we're looking at, um, do you have any ideas for like how you, these tactics, these this direct action strategy can be scaled up to really kind of reverse the trajectory that we are going down in terms of catastrophic climate change?
1: Oh, boy, I wish I had an amazing answer
0: for you. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It's a tough one, man.
1: Yeah, that is a really hard question to answer because I'm constantly asking myself, like, what would be the most effective thing to do? Am I doing that? Um, How Mm -hmm. can I make it more effective and grow it? And I mean, at a certain level of the amount of population that is, like, fired up and taking direct action where it's completely, like, you can't ignore it. Um, that is when like large scale changes can happen because they're like, You could literally hold us hostage. 99% of us, like, don't have that much wealth when we think about it. Yeah, if 99% of us realize, Okay, this is something that's not working for really any of us, and it's not going to for our children, for our grandchildren, like, the day people directly kind of have an impact, like, I'm downhill from this pipeline. And there was just a Mm -hmm. landslide that swallowed my farm whole or my family out in California just had their house burnt down. Like people Mm -hmm. are going to feel like they've been left with no choice. That's how this accumulates. And I don't want to it's like I don't want to see it have to happen, you know, (laughs) but I fully think it'll just be a matter of like more people are feeling the direct impact and are are like modeling the things they've seen before because it's not like anything we're doing Mm -hmm. is like super brand new and like never before seen um it's just something that's going to keep happening more frequently to the point where they can't just host a little brunch and say fossil fuels actually are good without like (laughs) you're not going to do that you know you're not going to just parade yourselves around and clap for yourselves um while like the rest of us are not seeing any kind of like positive economic impact that they'll try to Mm tout. Um, Mm -hmm. so I don't know if that really answered your question, but I just feel like it's like a ticking time bomb. It really is. And I just happen to see it before some people. Um, so Mm
0: -hmm. yeah. I mean, I, and I think it makes me think a little bit about how like, the situation is going to get so dire that it's going to be a natural response for masses of people to have to stand up and to have not enough in their like not enough money, not enough wealth, not enough resources to not stand up because they are just pushed to the extreme edge. Um, so I do have some hope that comes from that like situation of total uh I mean, demise in some ways, some of the absolute desperation that we're going to experience as a result of climate change. Um, I think we're going to see more folks coming to what you've come to. I think you're really ahead of the curve here. Um, but because you're ahead of the curve, you're paving the way and you are showing other folks, young folks and old folks, that like, this is the fucking way. And I love to hear that, like, some of the older people um you know my hero Steven donziger who's going to be the the final episode this season showing up in solidarity with you folks like you are people are seeing what you're doing and they're they know that it's right so <laughs> it's it's going to be cool to watch that grow in the coming months and years and i really believe it will thank you
1: i hope so too <laughs> <laughs>
0: I want to hear your thoughts a little bit about capitalism and whether or not you identify as a capitalist (laughs) or anti-capitalist, whether or not you identify as anti-capitalist.
1: Okay. All right. So my answer to this question is I'm not an economic theory gal. I just see what I see and know something ain't right. And do I have the, the full knowledge to say like, here's the economic theory that I best support? like, no, I'm 24 years old. <laughs> I fully understand that I don't understand. Like, it's such a complex thing for me to even wrap my mind around. Yeah. Um, and I think it is for most young people. Um, and so yeah. I, I think I describe myself as an anti-capitalist. But I know, like, I can't give you the full research to back it up other than if you see if we currently are in a capitalist system and you go to Appalachia and you talk to folks on the ground are they happy and are they living a healthy life and are they able to fulfill mm-hmm. their dreams whatever those are and more often mm-hmm. than not the answer is no it doesn't matter what party you're part of it doesn't even matter if you think you're a capitalist like and yeah. just the sad the, just the sadness of knowing like it's also systemic is so Ugh, it makes the, the people yeah. who are in charge of changing the system that just more like how do you not act with any kind of empathy um and it's mm-hmm. because of money it's literally i know yeah. money is the root of all evil i grew up in the church yeah and so i don't know how you don't hear money is the root of all evil and think mm-hmm. like okay how does that reflect upon the world i'm living in and how can i like avoid the root of all evil you know yeah. and so <laughs> yeah I think the word anti-capitalist is like big spooky for people in Alaska, yeah. people in my family yeah. uh, and if I was like, hey guys, I'm a socialist. I, they'd be like, ah you know. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, yeah. yeah, I I don't know. That's that's my answer is just that I think like I am anti capitalist. But do I have like the full solutions written out? Like no, I think that's what our lawmakers yeah. are supposed to be doing. Um Yeah. And so yeah, I'm not like sure how you how you implement a society that is fair and just and allows for people to be happy and healthy. I don't know what the the word for that economic system is Mm -hmm. but i would like to see
0: that Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah totally oh my god and thank you for being so transparent about like the the very material basis for your viewpoint and like what it's grounded in but also like the limits to where your knowledge is i mean i think that is such a that kind of honesty and transparency is really really refreshing when people are always trying to say that they know everything and you know and this is and it shows that like you can do this work and not have it all figured out about like all the big questions in the world and what is the proper economic system or anything we don't we don't necessarily have to have that all figured out before we do the work to try to limit some of the damage that capitalism is causing right now you know um which is exactly what you folks are doing and i'm in fucking awe of everything that you're doing over there thank you um yeah i wanted to ask just how folks can get plugged into the work that you're doing and show up in solidarity or um support your work in in whatever way how can folks do that
1: Well, we are a small, scrappy group of Gen Zers, so uh, (laughs) definitely send us some funds if you can. Um, Yeah. This work is not easy, and for me, it is full time. Uh, I, yeah, I'm blessed to be able to do it full time, but you can't continue to up the pressure and up the ante without money sadly that's currently how our system works so
0: yep (laughs) um yeah
1: I I would love to see some donations if possible at climatedefiance.org and you can also sign our pledge of resistance there um if you can't support financially but and you can't come to dc where we usually have most of our actions um you can help support us by following and sharing and commenting all the things on our social medias we have uh tiktok twitter and instagram all of them are at climate defiance um and i run the tiktok so i'd love some
0: extra oh nice so, yeah. oh shit I, I i didn't even know you folks were on tiktok i'm excited to, oh my gosh. to go follow you yes. <laughs> yeah i'm very proud of my tiktoks Oh nice. <laughs> wow, this is going to be fun for me because I've been like looking for videos of you folks and what you've been doing and then just like watching them and just being like, "Oh my god, this is amazing." <laughs> <laughs> well, awesome Riley. I'm I'm so grateful to you for taking the time with me today. Thank you for for chatting with me about all of your amazing work and um yeah, I hope we can stay in touch. Yeah,
1: absolutely. This is a great interview. I wouldn't have stuck around for this long if you weren't cool too. So. <laughs> oh,
0: cool. <laughs> thanks, oh, thanks for your support. Nice. <laughs> I really appreciate it. Totally. Well, cheers to you guys and uh yeah, solidarity. Cheers. <laughs> hey everyone. Thank you all for tuning into this episode. If you value the work that we're doing, we would deeply appreciate your support. This project involves a huge amount of research, networking, content creation, and editing. You can lend a hand by giving us a rating and writing a review, or you can contribute financially by signing up on Patreon. To all of our existing patrons, thank you so goddamn much. Your support makes a huge difference for this anti-capitalist project. Much love to you all. Cheers and solidarity.